Amen and amen. Well, we're finishing up today this series on the edge of eternity. And the, 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 the gist of the messages, and there's the picture that perfectly describes it, is this is a picture of every one of us today. Whether you're here in church, whether you're watching them by television, or whether you're, whether you're some people you'll meet out in the world, every one of us is walking on the edge of eternity. The edge means we, we come to the end of one thing and the beginning of something else. Now, we, he has a blindfold on, which means we don't know where that edge is. And, and by the way, when you are walking and you know there's an edge out there and you don't know where it is, you walk carefully. The word the Bible uses is circumspectly. We use that. We talked about that in one whole week. Circumspectly, which means that there is a point where you, we will step out of this life, this temporal, temporary life, and step out into eternity. And we don't know when that is. It can be any moment. It can be while we're in here. It could be ten years from now. It could be Jesus coming back. But every one of us will come to a point where we leave this life and we step into eternity. Not only every one of us, everyone that we meet today, everyone that you will meet tomorrow, we all have this in common. So we began by, the, the purpose of this is to wake us up and to make us aware of what that means to us as Christians, first of all. And so we saw the first Sunday where to wake up. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and several other places, wake up. <laughs> We need to wake up and be sober and alert to where we are. Take the blindfold off and realize where we are. Then we looked at what does this mean to a Christian. What it means to a Christian, those of us that are in Christ, it means that eternity is our hope. This world is not our hope. That eternity is our hope. It's a comfort. It's a reassurance. It also what compels us to go on and finish our race strong. And, and because there are rewards, for, even for Christians, there are rewards in heaven. Just because you make it to heaven, that's, not, that's the beginning, not the end of everything. And then we looked last week at what does it mean to those that are not in Christ when they step off that into eternity. And we saw that it means an eternity separated from God, an eternity of torment, an eternity on the, that ends up eventually in the lake of fire. Unbelievable torment. And I, I just can't go in to try to describe it for you this morning. And how that ought to affect us when we realize that there's an urgency to everything in life. And we're to consecrate our purpose of our life for that end, for that goal. And that's what we've talked about. Today we're going to attempt, <laughs> I believe by faith we're going to do, we're going to attempt to grasp the significance of eternity. So if you have that other graphic, that other picture, if you could put that up there now. Because we're going to have people that stepped off. How do we grasp this concept of, e of eternity? How do we grasp it? First week, we read some, I read a quote out of, uh, out of a, a wonderful sermon by uh, John Wesley about, on, and the subject was eternity. And he points out, and we talked about the fact that this is so hard for our minds to grasp, because we don't know anything that's eternal. The only frame of reference we have is something that begins and something that ends. Now our life, which is the longest time span we've ever personally experienced, had a beginning. Most of us, I assume, don't exactly remember the beginning. And we haven't experienced the end yet. So in our life, we don't have any concept within the frame of our life. But we know people whose lives had a beginning and whose lives have an ending. And some of you, it's your very close relatives. They're not here anymore. That doesn't mean they don't exist. They're not here anymore. So how do we grasp that? How do we wrap our mind around eternity when our mind has never experienced something that is eternal, has no beginning, and has no end? How do we do that? Well... In Charles Wesley's, John Wesley's sermon, he suggests two things. He suggests, first of all, that uh, only the Holy Spirit can do that. We've already prayed and are asking Him to do that. And the second thing he tells us we can do is we can give the Holy Spirit something to work with by meditating. And that's the, that's the formula that God uses for us to grow on the inside. 
We take the Word of God and we meditate on it. We get it down inside of us and then the Holy Spirit can take that Word and illuminate it, turn the light on and show us what it means down in here, not up here, but down in here. These things we're going to talk about this morning, you can't grasp with your mind, but you've got a spirit man on the inside and he can, he can receive. The Bible talks in several places about, about, uh, about uh, the knowledge that passes understanding. Officially, What's, How can you have knowledge that passes understand how can it because it's not knowledge of the mind it's a knowledge in here and we only can know God in the spirit we can't know God with our mind we can't know the Holy Spirit with our mind but we can know him we have a knower on the inside that's infinite and so in our spirit we can grasp the concept grasp eternity now it's not so important this morning it's not so important this morning that um, that we grasp what eternity means. I want to, I want to, before we get into this, I want to put some boundaries around uh, to make this realistic. We're not, I'm not expecting us to, to, to be able to leave here this morning with an intellectual concept of eternity. I, I don't think we can do that. Okay? And that's not so important. W- what is important, and I want to read my notes because I want to make sure, by the way, these are posted on the website. What, what the Bible tells, excuse me, why, this is, why is it important to grasp what eternity means? Listen carefully. The duration or length of time of how long we experience the joy of heaven or how long we experience the torments of hell affects the urgency that we have to make our own choice and to care about those around us. I want to read that again. The duration, the length of time of how how we will experience the joy of heaven or how we will experience the, the, the hell, the torment of hell gives us an urgency to make our own choice and to care about those who chose. I'll give you an example I want to talk about. I, when we went to, uh, we went to, out to Bible school in Tulsa and I left, I left a large law firm I was, a, I was a senior associate in, more money than I never made, prestige, beautiful house outside of Boston, and we left that with no job, took my family, and my family was doubling in size, and I didn't know it, halfway across the country to go to a place I never heard of before, to go to Bible school. The deal I made with God, because the first year was nine months, the deal I made with God is, God, I can, I can, I can go through anything for nine months. Right, ladies, those of you who had a child? <laughs> I can go through it. I can suck it up for nine months. And see, God was gracious. He met me there. In my mind, I could conceive of getting through nine months. If you told me it was going to change my life forever, I'm not sure I would have gone. But somehow nine months made it easy enough. And people look at eternity and where I'm going to spend eternity because our mind has trouble. Well, okay, I can get through that. No, you can't. And so realizing that, that either if you're in Christ, this, this joy you're going to have has no end to it. The peace has no end to it. The glory has no end to it. The riches of Christ, the Bible calls them the unfathomable riches of Christ. There's no limit to the riches of Christ in terms of His joy, His peace, His glory. And that's forever. Amen. And that's our goal. On the other side, the torments of hell. I wasn't going to mention this because I don't think I don't know if we have it in the bookstore. And it, it, you don't want to read this before you go to bed. But there's a book written called "The Twenty Three Minutes in Hell," and it's a pastor who, in the middle of the night, the Spirit of God took him to hell for twenty three minutes. Brother Hagen wrote a book on hell because he tasted hell, and those little glimpses. And it's for eternity. In that book he talks about how demons chew at you. But they don't eat you up. See, if they chew you, I didn't mean to get into all this, if they chew you and they eat you up, there's going to be an end to the agony. But if they chew you because your body then is eternal and it never stops, they chew you for eternity. And the purpose of today's message is to realize... That, that all we need to do is get the impact of eternity. That, that, because if it's not, if we don't recognize, we're talking about forever. 
No chance of change. Either way, that should have a greater impact on the urgency we have either for ourselves where we're going to spend it or for others where they're going to spend it. The second point to prepare for this is it's not important that we really grasp with our mind this concept of eternity. But it's enough that it has an impact on us so that we realize how critical, how critical this destination is to us and to those around it. In fact, I'm going to put it this way. It is the most critical thing in all of your life. Think of the most important things to you over your whole life. Who you married, that's critical. Your, your career, your, your, you know, your life. The most, and this is infinitely more critical because all of those things were temporary. This is eternal with no hope of change. Well, if you're in heaven, you don't care about a hope of change because you don't want to change. I believe part of the torment of hell is living eternally knowing you did not have to go there and there's no chance now of changing it. But while we live in this body, in this life, that's the only open door to make this eternal choice and decision. And we'll give you that chance before the service is up. So what does the Bible tell us about eternity? That's the first place we want to turn. Well, you know, it doesn't tell us much. It doesn't tell us much. In fact, the Bible talks more about hell than heaven. But we're going to turn to Exodus Exodus chapter 3. Because this is a scene where God is bringing Moses... It's a long story. I don't have time to go back over the whole history of Moses here. But the children of Israel are in bondage in Egypt to Pharaoh. How they got there is another series to talk about. And, And they've been there 400 years. And they're crying out now to deliver them. And God has spent 80 years preparing Moses to be their deliverer. And Moses thought he's blown his whole calling. He's, all he's been doing is taking care of somebody else's sheep on the backside of the desert, not realizing that God was training him to take care of his sheep in that same desert. And now the time has come. And Moses is walking along taking care of his father-in-law's sheep And he sees a bush that looks to him as if it's on fire. But it's not burning up. It's not being consumed. Why? Because it's eternal. The flame is eternal. And I believe it was the glory of God. That's my view. I don't believe believe you could have roasted marshmallows on it. I believe this is the glory of God shining out of that bush. And Moses pulls aside to see what this is. And God begins to talk to him out of the bush and say, I've called you, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm sending you back. Now, the last time Moses saw his people, he had to run because he had killed an Egyptian guard and the people wouldn't follow him. So the last time they saw him, he left in shame and fear. So Moses has an issue here. If you're sending me back now to take these people out, first of all, they didn't follow me 40 years ago. Why do I think they're going to follow me? Why do you think they're going to follow me now? And secondly, why would they follow me anyway? So he says to them, Indeed, the Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father sent to me, and they say to me, What's his name? Who shall I say to that I am? Now, this, they'd been in Egypt in bondage for 400 years. They've not been practicing the things that they, were, the, 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 that they were told to practice. They've not had any relationship with God. So Moses' situation is, uh, God, understand this. You know, I'm going back and tell them, you sent me. They're going to want to know, who is you? <laughs> who is it that sent you? Why do you think we should listen to you? So Moses is saying, so... What is the name that I shall say to them? Verse 14. I'm telling you, I shake inside. I just, oh. And God said to Moses, I am. (laughs) I am who I am. Now we've got to stop on that because if you just read that quickly, it's like, okay, that's God who God. No, 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 no. See, if, if God said, I am anything after that, he limits who he is. He just am. In the Hebrew, this means self, listen carefully, we're meditating together now, self-existent 
One. Your existence and my existence we owe to somebody else. I owe my existence to my parents for my physical body. I owe my existence to God for my spirit man. But I didn't create me. I haven't always been and I won't always be here. But that term says, I always have been, I always will be, I just am. I don't depend on anybody to exist. I'm the source of everyone else's existence. I am, am. No beginning. No. So God, the first thing God wants to communicate to Moses is His eternity. He's trying to give Moses a little glimpse into the eternity by saying, I am the eternal God. By the way, this name is so powerful that when Jesus walks on the earth, in the Gospel of John, there's five or six times, He just says, I am the bread of life. I am. And they got mad at Him. Why? Because they knew what the name meant. He's not just saying, I'm food. He says, I am God. And then in John 18... When the, when the soldiers come to arrest him and they say, we're coming, we're coming for the one called Jesus, called the Christ. And Jesus says, I am, and they all fall down. I am. I just am. Well, where was you? I just am. Well, what are you like? I just am. I am. I'm generous. That's a part of my attributes, but I just am. I am merciful. I know that's part of my... But I just am. I am. I am who I am. And thus you shall say to the children, I am has sent me. I am has sent me. Let's go to the other end of the Bible. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Now, the Apostle John is the last of the apostles of the Lamb. I don't want to get into the explanation. Of the twelve that followed Jesus closely. And he lived with him. Of all the disciples, he knew Jesus personally. He had a closer relationship with Jesus than any of the rest. At the Last Supper, the scene we have of, as there, as there were, because they didn't sit in chairs like this, they sat down low. But, and, and, and so they kind of reclined at the table. The scene is John, this John has got his head resting on Jesus' chest. They're that close. And now, years, years later, John has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. We referenced this last week when we talked at the end of this book. And Jesus appears to him on the Lord's Day. And he says to him, Behold, so when that now this is the same Jesus that he walked with for three and a half years. He knew him. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him walk on water with Peter. He saw him crucified. He saw him after he'd been raised from the dead. And now, 70 years later, 60 years later, Jesus appears to him on the Isle of Patmos and said, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. When Jesus comes back, everybody's going to see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why? It's too late. They will now know who he is. Even so, amen, it's true. Verse 8. I am the Alpha. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And I am the Omega, the last letter of the first alphabet. In other words, I am the beginning and I am the end. The one who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. So Jesus is saying here, I always have been. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But the spirit being in him was the second, always been the second person of the Godhead. The Son of God, the Son of the living God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. That's Him. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word, the second person of the Godhead, became flesh 
and dwelt among us. He took on flesh when he was born in Bethlehem, well, actually in his mother's womb. He took on flesh and walked among us, and we beheld his glory, and even the glory, his, his full of grace and mercy, grace and truth. So God took on flesh. That's Jesus. But the God in him is the Christ, the anointed one. So when Jesus appears to John, he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is now, who was always, and who will become. I have always existed. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, in other words, before the earth existed, or ever, you formed the earth and the world. So God was here before the world was formed. Even from ever, look at this, from everlasting to everlasting. We are here at a point in time on October 21st, 2018, at 9.38 a.m. in Seekonk, Massachusetts. That's a fixed point in time. If I don't talk, talk too slowly, it'll pass. It'll be the next point in time. From this point in time, God always existed in the past. From this point in time, God always exists in the future. And God sees all of it at the same time. In Hebrews, Jesus said, the, the writer of Hebrews said by the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, we're looking at scriptures that talk about who God is, and that God is a God of eternity, trying to expand our minds to understand or begin to grasp it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We'll come back to this at the end. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, don't forget this one thing. He's talking about here, people that say, well, you know, this is never going to happen. We've been around all this time. We're looking at our lives. I've always existed. I've been hearing for years the Lord's going to come back. And He hasn't come back yet, so I can just let down and relax because it's never going to happen. He says, beloved, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day... Think, and we're going to meditate on this. One day to the Lord is like a thousand years. One day. And a thousand years is as one day to Him. Now, to you and me, one day, we know we have an experience of what that's like. Some days seem longer than others, but they're still 24 hours. So we have a concept of what that means. What this is saying is to God, there's no 24 hours. It's like a thousand years to Him. So God can be infinitely patient with us. When we get anxious about time, but Lord, if you're coming back soon, this has got to happen, this has got to happen, this got to happen. But to God, it's a thousand years. He can work as if He had a thousand years to do it when there's one second. Because God's not limited by time. In the same way, a thousand years. Oh God, will this ever end? It's like one day. To the Lord. I know it's hard to get our minds around Him, but we're looking at our spirits to grasp it. All right. Now, we're going to step out of that for a little bit. We're going to try a different approach. We're going to use a different approach, not try it. Again, in reading through this sermon that I read of John Wesley, he's struggling with this also, and he says, one of the things we can do is, is to try to expand our mind, we can look at the vastness of the world around us. Now, back when John Wesley preached his sermon, their knowledge of the vastness of the world around us was so much more limited than our knowledge right now. Romans chapter 1. But it can have the same kind of impact. We're looking for an impact of what does eternity mean? What does the fact that it's eternal mean? Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Paul's dealing with talking about people in the world, and, and God has not hidden Himself. So when people refuse to believe in God, they're rejecting the evidence that God has given them, and they'll see here there's no excuse. This is why an atheist can't say, well, I didn't know, and here's why. For since the creation of the world, His, that's God's, invisible attributes, 
That's what we're talking about now. We're talking about an invisible attribute. One of his invisible attributes is he's eternal. You can't see that. You can't experience it. But it's one of his attributes. He's I just am. I am that I am. It's invisible. But, but the, since the creation, his invisible attributes can be clearly seen. How can you see something that's invisible? Because there's evidence of it out there. Being understood, why? By the things that are made. So the things that are made, the created world, can give us some evidence of God's invisible attributes. Amen. You following me? I mean, there are things we can't see, but we have evidence that they're there. Jesus uses it in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, who's struggling to understand how a man can be born a second time. He says, how can a man my age and size climb back into my mother's womb and come out again? And Jesus is trying to explain, it's not a physical birth I'm talking about, it's a spiritual birth. And to do that, Jesus says, when the wind blows, you can't see it coming or going, but you can sure tell it when it's here. The trees bend and the grass, flip, you know, whatever, the flowers bend over. You can tell the wind's been here because you can see the physical evidence of it. In the same way, we can't see God's attributes, but the worlds He's created gives us some kind of... I read it... it, it, John Wesley used the word footprint. Uh, It's a fingerprint. God's fingerprints are all over creation. His attributes. You've got to willfully choose not to look at that. I can't get off on this, but but I, I... I was listening to an old message of Tony Cook. Remember him? He was here. And he was talking this kind of similar concept. And he's talking, he was going through some of the facts about DNA. The DNA that's in your body. The billions of cells that are in your body. Each of which has a genetic code that's unique. And each of us have the same billions of cells with individual genetic codes. It takes more faith to believe there's not a creator. It takes unbelievable faith to believe there's not a creator. Or stupidity. And I won't give you my opinion as to which you are. So I want to read through. I've done the best I can to verify some of these things. Some of these I got through Tony Cook listening to his messages. And some of these I got through the wonderful source of Google and all its accuracies and inaccuracies. And some of these I was taught in school. And we're going to go through some things and talk about our universe, the vastness of our universe. We're trying to show how small our mind is and our understanding of space around us. Because we think, you know, New England's big stuff. Just because we've got successful sports teams and just because everybody... We think we're big stuff. Do you understand there are people I've known in other parts of this country that don't even know Rhode Island exists? What's Rhode Island? Oklahoma City is geographically bigger than Rhode Island, and there are many others. So when you begin to travel, so what things travel does, it expands your horizon of how big this world is. We're going to see how small this world is. So, okay, let me go through some of these things. Hang on. Our Earth is just one planet that orbits around the sun. The sun is a star. The earth is almost 8,000 miles in diameter. So if you start at one point of the equator and drill right through the earth, assuming you don't believe it's flat, because there are people, we'll we'll talk about that later, go right through the center of the earth, it's 8,000 miles to the other side. It's 25,000 miles around. Okay? We're 93 million miles, 93 million miles from the sun. It takes about eight seconds for the sunlight to go from the sun to us. But what's a million like? We're going to have to expand, get some feel for what's a million, unless you have a million dollars. If you took a a million dollars and you put it in $1,000 bills, and every day, gentlemen, you handed a $1,000 bill to your wife and told her you have to spend it today, Every day, a thousand dollar bill. Now I got your interest. We can tell where all you guys are. 
it would take her two and three-quarter years to spend a million dollars at a thousand dollars a day. Two and three-quarter years. If we were to take a, thou, a, million, a million thousand dollar bills and stack them up one on top of each other, it would measure about eight inches. Okay? The earth is part of a solar system, which is nine planets, maybe more now they found another one. And we're part of something called a galaxy, which is a collection of solar systems, and ours is known as the Milky Way. They estimate that it, the Milky Way, our solar system, contains 100 billion stars. Now we're talking billions, not millions. So let's take those two examples and move them to the category of billions. If you were to take $1,000 a day, give it to your wife to spend, and if you had a billion dollars for her to do that, a million was two years and three quarters. A billion dollars, a thousand dollars a day, is almost three thousand years. Yeah, what? That's the difference between a million and a billion. A million is a thousand, a thousand millions. A billion is a thousand millions. I said before, if you took a, a thousand dollar bills and stacked them one on top of each other, it would be about eight inches high. If you took a thousand dollar bills and you put a billion of them, they would total 155 feet above the Washington Monument. That's the difference between a million and a billion. And in our, solar, in our galaxy, there are a hundred billion stars. Everybody still here? Or you're off somewhere else. Okay. It gets better. Things in space are so huge, they can't measure them with miles and with kilometers. So what they've done is they've taken the, the, the they use light as a measurement. Now, to us, light's just, we take it for granted, because if I snap my fingers here, if they're awake in the back, they stay here or see it back there. If I wave, hi guys, I'm waving, see, it's instant. Okay, they wave back. Some of them are awake, that's good. Okay. <laughs> but, the, but, but space, the universe is so vast that we can't measure it in miles, so they measure it with light. Light travels... Light's not instant. It seems instant to us because it's so fast. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. Those of you really sharp can figure out how many times around the earth that is. They measure distance in light years, which is how far light could travel in a year's worth of seconds. 1,000, 186,000 miles, that's what we're used to, per second. And you multiply that by the number of seconds in a year, and that's one light year. By the way, I can tell you what that is. That is 5.88 trillion miles. And I didn't even get into how to figure a trillion. It's a thousand billions. That's one light year. One light year. Our galaxy that we're part of, the Milky Way, is 100,000 light years across. 100,000 light years. In other words, the distance is if you traveled, you would be. 100 years, 100,000 years going at the speed of light to get from one end to the other. There are a hundred... This is our galaxy, the Milky Way. They estimate there are a hundred billion... Remember what a billion is? Other galaxies. Beginning to feel real significant? 
And God created all this. I wonder if He can handle your problems. To give you a perspective on this, and this I got through Tony Cook and some things he researched. If you took our galaxy, which is the Milky Way, which has a hundred billion stars in it, it's a hundred thousand light years across, and you saw it as a quarter, and remember, we're we're a little dot on a little solar system in this quarter. And you laid it on the floor, and you took other quarters and measured out about seven or eight inches away from our quarter, in order to cover the vastness of the universe that they've seen, it would extend two miles out in every direction around our little galaxy, which is the size of a quarter. They've measured that the universe that they can see with these telescopes is somewhere around 13 and a half billion light years. Know what a light year is? It's one year of 186,000 miles for each second of that year, and there's 13 and a half billion of those to go from one. And the problem is they can't see beyond that because light, they can't see beyond where light's traveled to us yet. They found that the universe is still expanding. It's expanding at an increasing rate. And the only theory they've come up with, I don't want to get off on this, is what's called the Big Bang Theory. And I love the Big Bang Theory. Because the one thing they can't explain is what banged. For there to be a bang, something has to have exploded. You can't get a bang out of nothing. You can't get an explosion out of nothing. So whatever banged had to be there. And I know it was there. Let there be light. And it's still expanding at the force and power of the authority of God's Word. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 1, excuse me. No, Hebrews 11, 3. It says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And Hebrews 1, 3 says, We believe that the world's, that the, that the, that the world's universe is held together by the Word of His power. Not the power of His Word, the Word of His power. God just said, let there be. And all of this exploded out. Now that's space. So far beyond what your mind and my mind can begin to grasp. And this is all that they've been able to discover and I don't want to get into debating whether it's real. I'm trying to expand our minds. That's all I'm trying to do. And now bring that over to time. Time. To God, everything that's ever existed is now. When He looks at you, He sees Jesus still on the cross, suffering for you. When He looks at you, He still sees Jesus raised from the dead. He can see it all now. Because God doesn't live in time. God lives in... I just am that I am. And when you and I breathe our last breath here, we step into that eternity. Either an eternity with Him or an eternity eternally separated from Him an eternal darkness. All right, we can come back from the depths, the, the resources of the, the extent of the solar system. And let's get back to the world of God. Luke 16. Jesus is getting, making this point in a different way. It's one thing to just speculate it, but what does it mean to us? It means that every one of us are going to step into that eternity, one of them the other. Jesus tells this little parable, this story. Luke 16, not 6, John. Luke 16. Luke 16, Luke 16, Luke 16, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. These numbers have got me going. Verse 19. 
There was a rich, certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared or ate sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. And desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his wounds. So that it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I don't have time to really teach what that is, but that was basically a holding place for Old Testament people until Christ was raised. And the rich man died and was also buried. And there being, and being in torments in hell, Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Abraham, 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 Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he cried out, listen to this, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. But see, the time of mercy was over. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip, the finger, dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abram said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Now, and now he's being comforted and you're tormented. Besides this, between us, you and me, there's this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can you pass from there to us. And then he said, this is, this is, this is um, uh, he said, And I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. In other words, since you can't rescue me, there's an urgency here. Send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. In other words, I've now stepped into eternity, and I realize the choice I made, but I've got five brothers that still can make that choice. Would you please send, would you please send Lazarus to go talk to them and tell them, implore them, lest they not come to where I am? Here is urgency. This is the urgency of someone that stepped into eternity, not the eternity we want to go into. And in hell, he's pleading, would you please send somebody to my brothers while there's a chance that he would implore them not to make the choice I've made to, res- to come into, the ki- into your kingdom. Verse 29, And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead... Uh, and he said to him, No, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes from the dead, in other words, if Lazarus goes from the dead, they'll repent. If, if, if you send Lazarus back from the dead to my fried brothers, they'll t- repent. Look at verse 31. And he, this is Jesus said, He said, No, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. This is a parable. Some believe it was true. It's, it's true. But the point is, Jesus is trying to communicate to them and to us this urgency and the eternity of, of what we pass into and how important it is with what we do now, not just ourselves, but those around us. Luke, and we're not going to turn there, but Luke, in, in, in Luke 8, Jesus is, has, is about to deliver the madman in Gadara, who has a legion, a thousand demons in him. And once the demons realize they're coming out, they start pleading, negotiate where they're going to go. And they say, there's a herd of pigs over there. Please send us in the pigs. And in Luke's account, because we don't want to go back into the abyss in hell. The demons don't want to go back to hell. We're looking at insights that are in the Bible, little insights of what it's like to spend an eternity in hell, and we see Jesus teaching us that a man that went there was pleading at least to just to get the torment eased and couldn't do that, and then, with not failing, send somebody to my brother so they don't come here. And now we see the demons themselves don't want to go back there. They'd rather live in pigs than be sent back into hell. Let's go back to Second Peter. This is sobering. But that's what the Bible says we need to do. We need to be sober and alert. We have times of shouting and jumping and you know, rejoicing. But you know, as I read through the New Testament, the closer you get to the end, there's less rejoicing and more seriousness. 
Second Peter. I read you the one verse which is to the Lord a thousand days or is one day and a one day is a thousand days. I want to read the context of this. And we're going to just go right down through this chapter. Beloved, this is the second letter Peter's writing. And in the beginning he says, I'm writing this to put you in remembrance of things you've already learned. So we forget. We leak. <laughs> things we've known and seen leak out of us through, through life. And so we need to be put into remembrance. That's one of the reasons we come to church, is to be put in remembrance of things that we've already known. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir you up by pure minds by way of reminder, verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles, and the Lord and our Savior knowing that first that scoffers will come in these last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? In other words, He's promised to come. We've been promising this for years. Where is He? Scoffing. There are people, many people today doing that. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, things have always been existed, things will always exist. We, I've heard this, well, you know, the sun always rises in the east. Well, yeah, but there's going to come a day when for you and me it's not. So because it's always happened, we assume it's always will. We don't recognize that we're, there's an eternity that every one of us will step into. Verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of the Lord the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, that's the flood, being flooded by the water. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which now are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. There will be a final judgment of fire on the earth at some point. And perdition of ungodly men. We talked about that last week. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's go back, break this down, and we're going to go on in a little bit. Verse 5, he's saying, lest we willfully forget that the word of, by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water. So what Peter's reminding him, everything that exists has existed according to God's word. And he's going to go on to say, therefore everything that God said is going to happen is going to happen just as certainly as everything he said would happen is happening today. Since we can't taste or experience this eternity, we have to believe it because God said so. Just as everything else God has said. We sang songs about that this morning. God's faithful to do what he said he'd do. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved... Oh, I just did that. Okay, verse 8. This is God's perspective on time. One year is like a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. God sees everything all at once. Verse 9. Or verse 10. Let's read there. But the day of the Lord will come. How will it come? As a thief in the night, which means unexpectedly. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the heaven, the earth, and the works. I'm not going to get into what all that means, other than it's going to happen. And the works that are in it will all be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what kind? He's talking about, okay, it's fascinating to get, look at all these things, but what's the point of it? What manner of persons ought we to be? How does this affect us? How does this eternity affect me? How does this eternity affect me and my choices towards other people? What manner of persons ought we to, you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Talking to Christians here. Verse 12. Therefore, looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord because of which the heavens, they, the heavens will be dissolved, being a fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the day of the Lord is going to come. So if, we, if we're here to the end, He will come. And He will come unexpectedly. We can know the signs of the time, but we don't know the day or the hour. 
In fact, the Bible says Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. So I get really suspicious when other people prophesy the day and the hour when even Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. But we can know the sign of the times. And those in Christ are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. So how should we live our lives when this eternity is to come? How should we live our lives? Let's pray. Father, as we said at the beginning, our, our minds have no experience of eternity. So it's only as Your Spirit takes the words we've heard and begins to impact us with the enormity of the eternity we will all step into at some day, some point, and only You know when that time is. We pray, Father, this morning that You will take the words that we've heard and they will impact us in such a way that we'll wake up every morning realizing that every day we're dealing with eternal things. And it's not our job, it's not the coffee, it's not whether the kids are are in time for school, it's not the bills. The eternal things are the souls of men and women around us and of our own. For those of us that are in Christ and have that assurance, we realize and have a hope from this, Father, that however difficult things may get, this is only temporary. And we have an eternal reward, eternal reward awaiting us. That gives us hope. That gives us comfort. It also gives us an incentive to finish our course faithfully for you. But it also makes us aware that every day, maybe in our family, maybe at work around us, there are souls that we have contact with every day that are going to step into eternity also but the eternity that they wait for is very different than the one that we wait that awaits us and that they are what's eternal their soul is going to live somewhere either in heaven or hell for eternity and while they're here and while we have some impact on them some influence in their lives you want to use us to rescue and deliver Father, last week we read a scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul says that you want to plead through us with those around us to be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Father, only by your Spirit can this be made real in our lives and change us. And for that we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned last week, What we're about to enter into is the most important part of this service.